Hey guys, this is Press Gallery host Emma Graney. I am the Edmonton Journal Provincial Affairs reporter. Welcome to another edition of the Press Gallery. Just another quick reminder before we get into the weekly business of analysis and looking at all things Alberta politics, do subscribe. Uh, You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you happen to podcast. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star rating and do recommend us to your friends, particularly the ones who are super into politics or, um, I don't know, a whole bunch of journalists sitting around talking nonsense. Who isn't into that, really? As always, any questions, comments or concerns, do shoot me an email, egraney at postmedia.com or you can find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Thanks and enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery Podcast. I'm your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, February 22nd, 2019. This is the Humanely Killing the Cash Cow edition. With me today... City Hall reporter, Paige Parsons, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to have you on. Um, I thought this was your first time on the podcast, but it's not. It isn't. Uh, last time I was here, it was to talk about the Bill 6 farm safety bill because my dad is a farmer, and so I was able to <laughs> weigh in with that special insight. Was that something to do with cows as well? It was. You know, it's, uh, this is a real this is a real trend for you then, coming on to talk about cows of some description. It's a theme. <laughs> Dave Breckenridge, how are you, mate? Good. Just good? Just good. Just good? All right. Yeah. We, we can, we can we'll go work with that. With that. Mm-hmm. All right. And pol- political columnist, <laughs> Keith Durant, how are you? I'm great. Great. See, now, yeah. Dave, why aren't you great? <laughs> <laughs> we had to wait months for the photo radar review, uh, uh, and it finally came. Such a long time. So I'm good. So we uh, are going to talk about the photo radar review today. Uh, as anyone who listens to the podcast regularly or follows me on Twitter would know, it's something I've been asking for for quite some time. We're also going to talk about the government's latest uh, crude by rail plans, which came out this week. And finally, we're going to have a look at last weekend's UCP election readiness convention um, and also another step they've taken towards election readiness. Let's start off, though, with the photo radar report. Woohoo! Photo radar. I have had more emails about this story that uh, the early file that I put up um, on the internet on Thursday than I've had about most other topics ever that I've written about, <laughs> except the time I wrote about UFOs in Alberta. I got a lot of feedback on that. Paige, you covered this yesterday. I did. Um, <laughs> were you expecting this to be coming? I wasn't expecting it to be coming Um down from the province, but it's something that it seems to be like a never-ending theme with the city. People love, uh, over at City Hall, people love to talk about photo radar, yep. to complain about photo radar. And what? Complaining yeah. about photo radar? Yeah. And it turns out um, Edmonton is the biggest taker of photo radar revenue in the province. The mayor was reacting to that revelation yesterday that um, he's defending their use of it. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what sort of the local reaction is to that. So in a nutshell, basically, um, the NDP promised, oh, geez, I don't even know, years ago. At least two years. It was a couple of years ago, yeah, yeah, um, that they were going to do a review into photo radar. Uh, The day that they announced this was the same day that Angela Pitt, then Wildrose MLA, was going to call on the government to do a review into photo radar. Uh, Brian Mason ran into the media room to take it over first so he could kind of scoop the Wildrose on their press conference and said, we're doing a review. And 
I would say for the last six months probably, every single ins, every single time that the minister, Brian Mason, walks into Cabinet or walks into the House, I'm like, hey, where's the photo radar report? Yo, minister, where's the photo radar report? Um, I was promised it would be last fall. I was promised it would be before Christmas. Then the minister promised me it would be by the end of January and we got it yesterday. Mm. Hooray! <laughs> On the 21st of February 2019. So basically... It turns out, in a nutshell, that photo radar in Alberta seems to be deployed as a bit of a cash cow as opposed to the way it should be deployed, which is to improve road safety. Edmonton is perhaps the worst offender in the province for this, according to um, the data in the report. One of the interesting things was that Calgary has twice the number of photo radar uh, locations, yeah. yeah, but Edmonton takes in twice the amount of money, so <laughs> that really tells you something. So basically, Brian Mason says that the government is going to talk with municipalities and municipalities will have one year to justify their use of photo radar in terms of proving with data that they are in fact improving road safety with their photo radar locations. Dave, you look like you're just chomping at the bit to say something here, mate. I just think it's kind of a shame that Mason didn't say they lose the privilege until they prove that it can be used <laughs> oh, yeah, for okay. safety as opposed to uh, prove it or lose it. Is that how you? Is that what you do with your kids? Just like until you can prove that you're going to behave yourself, you don't get this particular fun uh, thing? <laughs> that my kids don't get fun things in my <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Parent of the year. Uh, <laughs> it... In Edmonton, it's been such an issue for such a long time that there's people have suspected that the city of Edmonton has been using photo radar as a cash cow and not as a measure of a tool to uh, promote safety that uh, I think a lot of people are frustrated. The review was a long time coming. Uh, I'm glad that we're finally seeing it. It's a shame that it is, I'd say, 18 months late um, because when it was promised, we were told it would be six months. Yep. So it should have been the fall of 2017. And now we're almost at an election. I wonder if the timing of the report has anything to do with the fact that we're almost at an election cycle. The cynic in me says it's a bit of good news for the government after taking a beating for such a long time. It w it's some easy mm -hmm. votes from people. Well, they got it on September 10, 2018, and then <laughs> yeah, yeah. thought, oh, what are we going to do with this? Because we can't just throw the report out there. And um, I don't know if Brian Mason got into this at the press conference page, but basically they got it in September and then had to make some decisions about what to do with that. Did he talk about that at all in the press conference? Well, he talked about the changes that they made and, you know, we're going to update the guidelines and um, we're going to make some immediate changes. And so I guess he said he worked on that. But um, during like a, a technical briefing where we got to get a little bit of background from officials, we sort of heard that, yeah, they've changed some of the guidelines, but a lot of it, nothing, a lot of it isn't finalized yet. Like, we mm. still don't know exactly what, if they're going to justify using these photo radars in places. We don't know what, what's the justification for safety. We don't, there's not going to be right. a certain number of collisions or a certain number of speeders. It, none of that is clear yet. So how safety is defined isn't clear yet. Yes. They have to work on it. Yeah. D Dave, you're suggesting there might be some politics behind this. Well, how, how dare, dare, how dare, how dare you suggest there's, there might be some politics? <laughs> so it's interesting. Paige and I were both at that technical briefing where the, the folks from Alberta Transportation come up. They're all sitting at a desk and they kind of go through the report. 
and uh, the various recommendations. Uh, the report itself, though, is a little wishy-washy, and the bureaucrats themselves were a little wishy-washy. It's very they, big. So I've got a copy of it right here. You can't see yeah. this, dear listeners, but it, it's big. It's big. It's a lot big. of pages, but in all of those pages, they're missing some data. There, There is no uh, accounting, for example, on the, the difference between revenue and expenses of, of municipalities, photo oh, radar oh, programs. Oh, I just dropped the report. And it, it's, <laughs> it's so heavy. It's so pages. heavy, she just dropped the report right here in the studio. So... So, so it is missing sort of that data. The the officials kept sort of not answering questions, basically saying, "Well, we don't have the data. We don't have the data," even though it, you know, this report theoretically took months, and not really wanting to take a strong position on anything. And then Brian Mason walks in the room, and though it took him a little while to get warmed up, he does eventually say, "Yes, in some circumstances, this has been used as a financial printing press, not actually as a safety tool." We're going to take steps to to minimize that or reduce it. And, you know, Albertans can be assured that, you know, this is going to be more restrictive now. Right. Hey, great. People hate photo radar. They hate it. They right? really do. And this is just on the even of an election. This is this is definitely some good news. And people will say, hey, the NDP is actually doing something right for once. It's looking out for the little people. It's not no longer the nanny state. Right. They get all those accusations all the time. And then a couple hours later, Jason Kenney, who is also aware of the politics of this, comes out and basically says, well, I'm going to not even stop there. I'm going to go much further than the NDP won't give details, but perhaps he'll take up <laughs> Dave's suggestion and just they'll lose the privilege altogether before getting it back, having to prove to get yeah. it back. Derek Fildebrand's Freedom Conservative Party, of course, this is one of their issues that they love to peddle. And they came out with a press release saying, not far enough, ban them, ban them. They want to recall the legislature to try and pass a law to ban the damn things. Well, I, I mean, it's you look at collision data. The majority of collisions happen at intersections. Correct. And cities like Edmonton will stick a photo radar van behind a shed on the white <laughs> mud where there's no sets of lights. There's no intersections. People are just going along with traffic. Yeah, people, it's not an excuse to speed to say that you're against photo radar, but for the city just to use it as a revenue generation tool, I think goes against the spirit of what radar is for, is to catch people and um, impart the message that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. And photo radar is proven no more effective than uh, light up signs that you can put on the highway to mm. remind people of how fast they're going. Although in Australia, the light up signs make a, a smiley face or a frowny face or a sad face. If you're obeying around, especially around school zones, they do that, which is sweet. I want to make a sign smile, you know, as a human being. Maybe I'm just getting to engage with the robots <laughs> now. But um, Paige, I'm interested. What has the reaction from the city been? Uh, they they were pretty defensive. Um, the mayor addressed this right away, and he said, "You know, we we've, we've been open, and we think that we're already following all these new guidelines." He doesn't. Uh, feel that he'll, he says the officials will check it out, but they're pretty sure they're they're um, in line with everything already, and that they have proof that this is helping safety and it's making a difference and it's an important part of like the grand Edmonton's grand vision zero, trying to get down to zero traffic fatalities plan. Um, he was pretty confident about that, and the police chief, our new police chief, Dale McPhee, he he echoed it and said, you know, this is this is a, a key thing for us, and we're gonna we're gonna keep doing it. I want to pick your brains here about the political aspect of this. Is there anything the NDP could have done here that could have made this more attractive politically, aside from Dave's idea of <laughs> prove it or lose it? No, lose it until you prove it. 
Yeah, lose until you prove it. I, I think that overall, like just taking the stand that we're going to make sure the municipalities aren't using it as a cash cow, whether you ban it altogether, which some parties suggest, and maybe that's something that Jason Kenny will suggest along the line. I think overall, this is the kind of thing that for the most part will be seen positively by a lot of people who don't like photo radar. But yeah, I don't know what more they could have done short of banning it, but that's my you also can't yeah you also can't anger the municipalities too much too there's a balancing act to play here so this this will play well i think or at least partially well with a lot of the uh the voters out there and hopefully not anger municipalities to the point that they're going to start rampaging in the streets as well so (laughs) (laughs) which would be fun i'd love to see iverson and and ninchy and this is what i have in (laughs) my head right now (laughs) yeah more photo radar right let's see that's that's your campaign slogan (laughs) Make it an orange vest protest and they wear orange vests instead and just, you know, wander up the streets protesting photo radar. Was there any explanation in the tech briefing or in the press conference about why that report took so long? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't there to ask. (sighs) No, I mean, Mason said before that uh, it wasn't just the report, that they really wanted to make sure they got a a good response to the report, put together some very solid recommendations on what to do. That doesn't entirely explain why it took so long. Why it took 18 months. Yeah, yeah, especially, I, I mean, the report... It doesn't offer a lot of firm conclusions on, on some key questions, so I, I think there maybe were some problems there. But uh, honestly, if I had to guess, it's it's politics. It's the timing. Let's release this before the election. That's That seems to be the, the, the leading theory at this point. Mm. I'm interested why it did take them until September 10 to even get the report 2018. Yes. I mean, that's over a year. It's supposed to be six months. Bah! Bah! Anyway, I guess we'll see. Um, I want to move on to the latest crew by rail plan by released by the NDP government this week. Uh, Keith, tell mm-hmm. us all about it. I was going to try and grab in uh, Chris Varco from down in Calgary, our good colleague down at the uh, Herald, because he is the doyen when it comes to all things oil. But unfortunately, he's at another oil thing this morning. Yeah, so. no, that's a good word, doyen. Damn it, Varco. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll try to I'll try to fill in for Chris. He he really is the expert on this stuff. But uh, yeah, it happened on Tuesday. the uh, The government uh, announced that they were holding a tech briefing and a, a press conference, and the announcement was basically that they are going to spend. $3.7 billion. Uh, they've, uh, this is money to uh, have contracts with uh, rail companies, CP and CN. Uh, they are going to lease, not buy, because the plan initially was to buy rail cars. They are going to lease them instead, 4,400 rail cars. Um, over the next three years, they're going to buy oil from Alberta companies, fill up those rail cars that they've leased, ship it down to the United States to refineries there, and then sell at a higher cost, presumably, the the oil to those U.S. refineries. The uh, the plan says that they will make 5.9 billion, so a profit of 2.2 billion uh, over the three years. Uh, and the contracts have been signed, and it's a done deal, and we're moving ahead. The first rail cars should uh, should start showing up somewhere around July. That that that's the announcement. That's the plan. I was um surprised that this is the tack that they were taking. I, you know, that whole we're gonna get some rail cars thing was to me. Yeah, they're gonna go get some rail cars. I didn't think they were gonna go and do what they're doing and get the oil and put the thing in and do the stuff. I I was really really surprised, Dave. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that as well, because the initial plan essentially was to buy rail cars and then other people would ship yeah. their oil on our rail cars yeah. and we would just be the the transportation hub for these oil companies. 
kind of like an Uber for oil. That was kind of how I was envisaging it. And sort now, of, yeah. now we're, you know, hey, you want to buy some oil? <laughs> hey, come here. We got oil for you. Hot, fresh oil. Um, <laughs> I... I don't know. Again, this all this all falls down along the line of how can the government intervene in the oil industry and the oil market to get market access for our oil and help keep the price at a certain level um, and whether this is something the government should be doing to begin with. Obviously, um, Jason Kenney and the UCP feel that it's they do Bad, not like it. They do not like it. They they claim that the government is burdening future governments and taxpayers uh, with uh, risky propositions and they want to rip up these contracts. I don't know. It's it's all a part of the, the NDP walking this line to help support the oil industry, to help them shore up votes that they're worried they could lose in the election uh, so they don't want to get beaten up too much on the oil file. Whether it will be a successful plan, I'm not sure. But I'm surprised by the price tag because the the buying oil cars plan was was a few hundred million dollars. Well, we, I, ne- we never got an official figure, but yeah, th- that was sort of the rumors: hundreds of millions, not yeah. b- not billions. Yeah, yeah. not three point seven billion. I take it that we're not going to buy into the Trans Mountain pipeline now. Like we're already spending three point <laughs> seven billion on this. Like it just uh, it it's a lot of money to be throwing around when we don't have much money. Well, if we get our profit, it, we can invest. True story. It. <laughs> if we get our profit, that's that's a big risk, yeah. right? And that there, there's two things here that I think the UCP is upset about, and I think Albertans would be concerned about. Number one is Dave, as you mentioned, is the economic risks here, right? The the fact that they we are counting on two point two billion dollars. That's uh, um, that they say they're confident that it's actually based on a conservative figure that that that's the kind of profit we would get. But what if yeah, the they di- were confident about getting the Trans Mountain pipeline? I know, Look ex- how that worked exactly. Out. Well, well, what if the differential widens again? What if those refineries in the U.S. because we haven't completed negotiations with mm. those refineries? What if those negotiations don't go well? What if Alberta companies don't want to sell their oil to the government? Well, maybe they have contracts to sell those things other other places, right? Those are considerable risks that could eat into the profit, and you would. You do wonder if this extra rail capacity is really needed, would not those rail companies, would not those oil companies, excuse me, have made their own deals with the railways to to, to load up rail cars? The other part of this is the timing of it. We're, you know, six to 12 weeks from, from an election here. Um, you may not like Jason Kenney, uh, but there's a very strong chance he's going to be the next premier. You may think it's a good plan. You may think it's a bad plan. But regardless... This is likely to be Jason Kenney's uh, inheritance. This is what he's going to get from the next government. Was it actually worth signing such massive contracts on the even of an election? That's a legitimate question. Notley, to my mind, did not make the case that this had to be done now, that this that she couldn't have waited a couple of months for the next government, whoever it is, to actually make the final decision. She says, you know, it takes a long time to get these rail cars operational. I'm just not convinced that the crisis is there, that this had to be done now and not in a couple of months. I want to switch gears now uh, to the UCP election readiness convention. Is that what they called it? Election readiness. Campaign school. Campaign campaign school. That's a really good term for it. Now, this happened last weekend. Of course, we were kind of recording the day before that thing started or just mere hours before it started, actually, because candidates started rolling into Edmonton Friday afternoon last week. Keith, you went along to a bunch of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the general vibe that you got? 
Well, we weren't allowed into much of it. So there were certain specific times we were allowed to uh, to come and see the candidates and 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 hear some of the the speeches. So um, I mean, basically, it was it was campaign school for the candidates and and their campaign teams. They go in, they kind of learn the do's and don'ts of running an election race. The ABCs talk to the media, don't talk to the media, blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> they say Maybe they're ag- going towards the ladder there. <laughs> yeah, well, they do say they're gonna they're gonna put them up. We'll we'll see if uh, if that does actually occur. The main thing was a Jason Kenney speech on Saturday night. Um, and uh, it was um, it was actually quite an effective speech. He had all, you know, 50 or 60 of his candidates lined up behind him. They have recorded an original song that plays on their, their motto, Alberta Strong and Free. I have a theory about this because the UCP and Jason Kenney were using Alberta Bound by, what's his name? Paul, Paul Brandt. Brandt. Yeah. And I can't help but think maybe they got a cease and desist <laughs> letter saying, oi, you can't just keep using that, that hit song at every single one of your rallies, yo. Yeah. <laughs> That's my theory. I have no factual basis for that whatsoever. Don't write. Yeah. To me. Well, the original song that they've recorded is actually pretty good. Does it sound like Alberta Bound? Like does, uh, <laughs> not really. No, it's no, it's it's a woman singer, for example. Ah, and not no, not a country singer. Uh, or a male country singer for that release matter. it as a, yeah. as a hit single and maybe it'll help yeah. with the deficit it's only I think, I think it's only about a minute long but uh, the speech was quite effective and Kenny gave a, kind of a uh, a preview of the various election platform ideas that he's going to put out not with a lot of detail but it was it was designed to kind of whip up the base a lot of it is designed to pretty much erase anything the NDP ever did in the last four years but it also came with some controversy there was some comments in there about ending the nanny state and defending uh, religion. Um, he, he wasn't entirely clear on what he thought the attacks on religion were and free speech. Uh, he did talk about, you know, ending the uh, the ideological curriculum review that the NDP has, right? Again, it wasn't entirely clear what's ideological about it, but there's certain things he he obviously doesn't like about it. And then on Sunday, there it's was- only a- ideological when it's against your own ideology, <laughs> Exactly. <isn't it? laughs> and then on Sunday, there was this kind of bizarre press conference so we were we were all kept the media outside waiting outside the room finally we were kind of allowed in and we're we're ushered into this big room and there's again 50 candidates all standing on stage uh looking at us we're staring at them not sure what's going on (laughs) was it just the media and the candidates just the media and the candidates in this in this room it was very very awkward silence and then jason kenny comes in and announces that there's going you know if he's elected there's going to be a five percent pay cut for mlas a ten percent cut for in the premier's salary which derek fildebrand proposed uh last session and the uspl voted against even debating it by the way and which jim prentice put into practice another (laughs) another cut back in 2014, 2015, I think. So um, whether that's necessary or not, anyway, that was the announcement. And then he took questions and we're all the candidates have to stand there for like 40 minutes while he's answering questions and, and then <laughs> cheering while he's answering some of these questions. Just bizarre. That's like the Notley Press Conference when they had some kind of court victory about the Trans Mountain Pipeline and they yeah. brought up as many MLAs as they could, but they also brought up a ton of NDP staffers from the building and they all yeah. stood there behind Rachel Notley and then she walked up and they all started cheering and it was just like, what the hell is yeah, this, this is, nonsense? It's not a rally. It's a press conference. It's nonsense uh, right? I don't is. get it. So in that case, I would have been upset too, right? And it's vaguely intimidating. That's the other thing. You're not just, you know, throwing questions at one guy. You're throwing it at a whole army back there. So it's it's very strange. <laughs> Dave? 
<laughs> that is strange. I mean, they're they're as scared of you as you are of them. I think you just treat them like bears. Yeah, right. In the wild. Um, yeah, is the the weekend events were interesting. I, I mean. I'm fascinated that we're not even in the election period and Jason Kenney is already releasing platform. I mean, good on him. The, the, as, as was talked about on the show last week, you have Jason Kenney releasing platform and then the NDP releasing rebel media style hate sites against Jason Kenney. It's <laughs> and all announcements. And, and yeah. putting up ministers to criticize yeah. said yeah. policies. I, I, you know, it is interesting to see that. Although I wonder what the, the UCP is going to do during an election campaign. Like, what do they have planned for that four-week writ period? <laughs> How many more policies can they be released? Is it a mistake to release this much policy early? I don't know. You're weighing you're weighing those those issues and whether we'll get more detailed policy from the UCP come election come the campaign time. I I don't know. Um, but I was kind of confused by some of what he was, Kenny was talking about on the weekend as well. He talked about, we're going to end our curriculum review, but we're still going to bring in a modern curriculum. Well, how are you going to do that without doing a curriculum review? Um, are we too late in the process to offer tweaks to what the review is currently doing? Like, is it the kind of thing that we have to scrap already for uh, a conservative politician to turn around and say, we're going to scrap a bunch of work that people have already done and we're going to make new work it seems inefficient. Just, you know, forget ideological reasons, anything like that. It just seems kind of a waste of time and resources for a conservative politician to do away with work that's already been done. I I don't know. It's like when, when my husband sometimes, he used to do the laundry and I'd be like, you didn't do the laundry right. So I would redo the laundry. It was a massive waste of my time, his time, you know, the water, the laundry, soap. I'm I'm just likening to that, just so I can. So Yuri you're, has you're, how to do you're Jason Kenny in the relationship, and and your husband is Rachel Notley doing work badly. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I believe that's what she's saying. I think that's exactly what she's saying. I love you, Yuri, very much. <laughs> now, Paige, I know I brought you in here um, because we're talking about photo radar, but as someone who isn't involved deeply in the political scene, the amount of um of kind of policy platforms you're seeing from the UCP right now, does it feel like a campaign to you as someone who isn't like deeply involved in politics? It really does. And, you know, over at City Hall, it's starting to come up, you know, in conversations like both publicly and kind of off to the side with the different members of council and and staff. It's like, oh, what's well, it depends on what happens in the election, this and this and maybe this. And it's a yeah, it was fun because yesterday I got to go down to the legislature. Mm -hmm. And well, there's lots of very interesting and meaningful things that happen at City Hall that I cover. The, the legislature, I think, maybe has it beat for sort of bananas, like <laughs> political excitement. It was quite a, a different vibe. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Diplomatic, a different vibe. Bananas. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just get more bananas over the next, what are we, like almost four weeks away from yeah. the throne speech. Yeah. And then another presumably four weeks away from an election. Yeah, March like 18, the throne speech is, is looking for. Well, speaking of election readiness here, the UCP has, of course, announced one of what Jason Kenney is calling their star candidates. Len Rhodes, of former Edmonton Eskimos fame, has been parachuted in and appointed to run in Edmonton Meadows. Mm -hmm. UCP appointing an old white man to run and not bothering to do, you know, 
candidate nomination meetings there. Well, if that's good enough for the NDP, I guess it's good enough. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? The NDP does this all the time. I think they've had two contested nominations. One of them ended in controversy. The other one was against two MLAs. Alberta Party, I don't think they've had any contested nominations either. But yeah. when, you, when, when all of these controversies come up with the UCP nominations, and one of Jason Kenney's arguments is, yeah, but when you have all these open nominations, stuff's bound to happen, and then you go and just appoint some dude who doesn't live in the writing, I don't think it looks that great. Yeah, I'm always dubious of the the notion of star candidates they tend to backfire or people don't get behind them there was i think it was a roger millions a sportsnet host who was oh, he, yeah. he wasn't brought in by the party as a star candidate but he obviously was seen by some as like hey here's a guy with a lot of profile and he lost his nomination pretty soundly, right? Yeah, to he was Angela running Pitt. against Angela Pitt. Yeah. And then he attacked um, me on Twitter, fun fact. <laughs> um, and then you look at... Um, well, there's Rick Hansen from, yeah. from the, the former Calgary police chief who ran for Jim Prentice last time. Yeah. And lost. And lost. Yep. It brings me back to Saskatchewan when I first covered the provincial election there. And there was a bloke who was elected called Gene Mikowski. He was a rough rider who had just retired. So you're talking about a rough rider in Regina. That is what you call a star candidate. I mean, the guy's a freaking rough rider. You want to know like that that's the kind of person you get as a star candidate, Did not he win? the manager. Yeah, of course he won. <laughs> he had won by a landslide. But he was also running for the right party at the yeah. right place as Exactly. Well. He was running for Brad Wall's Saskatchewan party. But yeah, he's a rough rider. I think and people the, love them. The question with Len Rhodes is how much of his profile within the business community and the football community resonates to voters at large, whether people in that riding know him at all. My understanding is he lives in St. Albert. Those are things mm -hmm. that parties have to consider when they're parachuting somebody in. Especially when you're doing it over people who have done an awful lot of work on the ground over the last... And I, I know the party has taken a bit of a kicking on social media over it. People who are UCP supporters, not just people who hate the UCP, because that's, you know, they yeah. I think they were going to raise that's a stink about it. That's irrelevant because they're going to hate them anyway. Yeah, but there, there are UCP supporters who are really frustrated with the decision. I think that they kind of have a right to be upset, even though Jason Kenney has a right to appoint whoever he wants. He is the leader of the party. He can sign off on candidates. Um regardless of how people in the riding or or hopefuls may feel. Well, and the party constitution, according to him anyway, gives him the right to actually appoint four candidates, right? Which had right. not been made. Like when they were writing the constitution, what they were highlighting at the time was it's open nominations and we're just right. going to, it's grassroots, you know, and then they turn around and do that and it kind of, it seems as though it might have a bit of a PC reek about it. You know what I mean? Like that oh, entitled backroom deal. Yeah, mate, no worries. We'll put you in a prime writing here. It'll be it'll be so sweet. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's not surprising that they're using this in Edmonton, right? They they know that Edmonton is going to be a struggle to get elected. This is still NDP territory in a, in a large respect. So they haven't had a lot of named candidates come forward or, or get selected mm -hmm. uh, in Edmonton. So here's a, here's a, a celebrity, a star. Uh, I think that actually those those characteristics are a little debatable um, because Len Rhodes, let, let's face it, he, he was the head of a losing football team, a team that has underachieved the last couple of years. I'm not so sure that that legacy is going to carry over well to people. Uh, the fact that he was tr parachuted in does not leave in, live in the riding as far as I'm aware. 
um, has done no campaigning uh, and is taking the place of someone who has been knocking on doors for uh, for months and months. Uh, that that may that may not sit well, but it, it, it's the the UCP. Uh, you know, Jason Kenney said this was ground zero. This was going to be a place where he was going to compete really, really hard for seats in Edmonton. And so this is their attempt to do that. Just very, very briefly, um, as we sit here recording this podcast, um, we just got a breaking news alert on our phones all at the same time because <laughs> we all have the Edmonton Journal app. Good job, team. The um, National Energy Board has said that the Trans Mountain Pipeline project should be approved. Um, so that's quite a thing. Do you think the NDP are going to jump in and promote this today, Keith? Oh, are you ready no, to run no. down to the, uh, the no, ledge no, right now? That, that's, that's not going to happen. I, I <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they'll just let this one go. It's not big news at all or, or <laughs> won't help them potentially immensely in this election campaign whatsoever. I assume this has to do, I haven't read it yet, I assume this has to do because uh, the uh, the NEB had to come, uh, come forward today with their results of a uh, study on the uh, increased tanker traffic uh, that uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline would bring to the the West Coast. I assume that they have uh, discovered that it's not uh, not going to be a problem at this point. Um, I'm sure the critics will have some some thoughts uh, as well. But uh, yeah, I, I would suspect we will see Re- Rachel Notley at some point today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the NEB says they're going to impose 156 conditions on the project if it is approved. Politically, this is probably quite good news for the NDP, Dave. It is. I mean, there's still the other big piece of the Court of Appeal decision that they need to redo consultations Uh, with First Nations communities. Um, But this is this can only be seen as a positive step for the project for the NEB to come out and say, yeah, we're, you know, we're convinced that it can go ahead. Whether or not it will resonate with the voters or, in fact, anything actually else happens with it before they head to the polls is yet to be seen. Yeah. Um, we'll, of course, have all the coverage of that. And by the time you listen to this, heck, maybe we'll have done a few stories and talked to Rachel Notley. Let's move over very briefly to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we have read or watched or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy, dear listeners. Paige, I believe you have something for us. I do. And this isn't a... It's a new to me piece. It came out in November, but it's um, it's called The Watcher, and it was it ran on the cut. It's by Reeves Weedman, and it's kind of this interesting kind of fancy New Jersey suburb tale about this nice family that bought their dream home, and then before they can even move in, they start getting these like weird letters from someone who signs off as the watcher and they're very creepy and you know they're talking about watching them move in watching their children and stuff and then it just sends this like really shishi suburb into chaos and neighbors turn against each other and there's police and private investigators and it's it's quite it's pretty fun wow that sounds dark but great um I just Brett, found it. I, well, I just added her suggestion to my reading list on my phone, <laughs> so I can I can dive into that uh, very soon. Um, I'm recommending something far lighter. Uh, it is called the Beastie Boys book. It is by the two surviving nice. members of the Beastie Boys, Adam Horowitz and Mike Diamond. Um, I'm only about a third of the way through it, but it's like a really entertaining read about at least where I am right now about how they f- became friends, how they formed as a group, how they connected over music, what life was like in uh, New York City in the late 70s and early 80s is really fascinating. And they start talking about uh, the rise of punk music uh, around that time and then even how they kind of went from punk music into the hip hop. Uh, rap music scene it's a really really entertaining read so far and so if you if you're a music fan uh and you like reading music bios uh this would be definitely one to pick up 
Oh, man, I love the Beastie Boys. I actually saw them live three times. I'm jealous. I've man, never, yeah. when he died, I was just, I actually was sobbing. I was so sad. I'm actually recommending something along a similar vein. I'm going to recommend, not at all political, uh, the book Girl in a Band by Kim Gordon, who was the vocalist, bassist, and founding member of Sonic Youth. It also goes into what New York was like in the late 70s, early 80s, and the whole no-wave scene and the noise music scene and kind of, um, her life in California and then over to New York and, of course, the band Sonic Youth and her relationship with um, her husband who was in the band as well, Thurston, and how that fell horribly apart. But it's a really, really great read so far. Um, it's biography. Highly recommend it. Keith, take us home. Yeah, I'm going to recommend a piece called uh, The Devastating Allure of Medical Miracles by a guy named David Dobbs in Wired magazine. So I'm kind of going back to my health roots here. (laughs) Um, It is uh, an interesting story, uh, very well researched about a group of patients in the United States who have received hand transplants. Uh, They've all lost their hands to very... Yeah, I know. This is a thing. It's it's not a big thing right now, but the hand transplant. And it basically follows these patients that have had these hand transplants, some of whom were showed remarkable progress, uh, remarkable success. This was described as a medical miracle. Some of them were put on TV to show how awesome they were doing, that they resumed normal lives. And then over time, things happen. The hand, this is like that, yeah. that horror story where you know, the hand like <laughs> becomes alive and then does its own thing and then like strangles the person who has it. Right. I'm not saying that happens in this piece. Well, no, <laughs> I, that, that was not one of the calamities that happened. But uh, a lot of these patients did not end up with, with good outcomes. And in fact, one patient asked that the hands be removed. Be, he wanted to go back to the way things were because it just wasn't working out for him. So uh, any and interesting, sh- just shows the... Can't get too excited about these things. There's a lot of a lot of work still to be done. That, I'm just looking at my hands right now, wondering if they will end up on someone else's body. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> things just got really creepy in the studio. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Paige Parsons, Dave Breckenridge, and Keith Jerine. Uh, we will, of course, be back for another episode of the Press Gallery next week, keeping up with all things Alberta politics. Do subscribe uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you happen to find your podcasts. And leave us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. Tell your friends about us if they're also politics nerds. Even if they're not, you know, maybe they'll like hearing us blather on about things. We will be back this time next week with more Press Gallery. 